Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. And this is the human condition. We need to talk about this, okay? This is a lot of good news. Tonight we're talking about some bad news. Jesus told a story, and I think this is, if you guys have ears to hear this, I think it's going to make so much sense of the world. When you look at the world and you say, okay, if there's a God and he's good, and he's loving. Why is the world the way the world is? I mean, why is it so messy? Why are people so awful? Why, why are we? And you ever, you ever think about this too? You ever see how fast destruction works and how slow it is to build something that matters? Like it would take us a long time to build a building. And yet in a moment, we could bring it down. In just a second. You can build trust and friendship for a long time and betray it one time. It seems to me that the forces of darkness and the forces of chaos tend to work a lot faster than the forces of light and beauty and hope. Hear me. Okay, here we go. This is Jesus, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. Now, this is what Jesus did. Jesus communicated truth through these parables, through these stories, okay? And they're just powerful. These stories are meant to be surprising. They're meant to catch you off guard. Pay attention here to this parable because I'm telling you, if you can hear it, it's going to unlock for you so much about why the world is the way the world is. Here's what he said. The kingdom of heaven, which is what Jesus, this is Jesus' vision for the intersection of God's will in this world. It's what the world could be under the reign and rule of King Jesus. This is his created intentions, what, what we're trying to drive the world towards as those in the Jesus way. The kingdom of heaven is like, a man who sowed good seed in his field. Everybody say good. Good. Okay. Was the seed bad? Was it a bad seed? Did it, did it come out of the womb bad? No, it was good. This is a good seed. Okay. Good seed in his field. All right. But while everyone was sleeping, and my mom used to say, nothing good happens after 2 a.m., it's, she's actually, she was false, because there's a couple good things, but not very many. Okay, here we go. <laughs> While everyone was sleeping, his enemy, everybody say enemy. Okay, now hang on. You guys, this is important. You got to hear it. His enemy came, and he sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. He's like a farming terrorist. He just corrupts it. It just sows a little bit of corruption. Okay, now... There's actually a theme all through the teaching of Jesus about this idea that there's a little bit of corruption is all it takes. A little bit. A little bit of, of leaven, a little bit of bad seed, a little bit of corruption, and it creates chaos. And it begins to undermine this beautiful plan of God. He, he sowed bad seed, weeds, and then he went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. Now, what a puzzle. If you were the farmer, you get out in the field and you see this thing growing, this good crop growing up, and you also see weeds growing along with it. And you think, what do we do? And this is what the master's servant said. The owner's servants come to him and they said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? Listen to his answer. An enemy did this. An enemy did this. And the servant said, do you want us to go pull them up? Now, 
I don't know if you've been around church people for any length of time, people that follow Jesus, people that, that are religious people, but this is a pretty typical reaction. A pretty typical reaction is to look at the stuff that's going wrong and to be focused on it. Like, hey, there's, there's some corruption over here. There's some sin over here. There's some stuff that's not quite right over here. Shouldn't we focus on that? Shouldn't we do something about that? Like, shouldn't, we, shouldn't our attention be drawn to that thing? But listen to what, this is, this is the shock of the parable. Listen to what the owner says. Do you want us to go weed your field? We'll go pull the weeds up. And he said, no, I don't. Why? This is a big problem. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Listen to me, guys. Okay, this is, this is you got to get this, okay? This is big. I'm going to use some words because I don't know better words, but I'll explain the words, okay? Everybody say eschatological tension. I knew you guys, you see, you're working with this prefrontal cortex. We're helping it grow right now, okay? We're just doing it. We're getting out of the amygdala. We're getting up here to the front part of the brain. This is good stuff, okay? Eschatological tension means this. God is doing something in the world, and in some sense, it's already accomplished. Jesus has already provided an answer for the problems that sin has created. He's already taken that to the cross, and he's dealt with it. According to Christian teaching, that's the truth of it. But, but our experience of that already truth is like not yet really established. Like, look around. Like, according to, according to the New Testament, like, Everybody who claims to, to put their trust in Jesus, when you fall back into Jesus, it's like you stop being a sinner and you start being a saint. And yet, you still sin. You still fail. You still have problems. Like God looks at you and says, I see you as righteous. And yet, you're not. You still make selfish choices. This is this idea. There's this push and pull, this already, not yet. It's, there's, this, there's this tension here between the beautiful, created intention of God and this corrupted, current condition. And where does the corruption come from? You have an enemy. You have an enemy. We have an enemy. And sometimes we are our own enemy. I'm going to keep reading here. So, I got two points here, and then we can go. Okay, number one. Okay, we're talking about this unraveling. Imagine here, remember, we're talking about this kingdom tapestry, God putting things together in beautiful ways, right? God wants to accomplish something good, right? You, the, the, the first thing you'll see in Scripture is this idea that there is an enemy. He gets a lot of different names, but they all kind of translate to one idea. He is the accuser. He is the deceiver. He is the adversary. He is the enemy, and this is a very real presence. His language is lies, and if you can cling to these lies, if you can attach yourself to these lies, it pulls you away from the plan of God, and it creates chaos, and it creates havoc. Our culture wants to minimize this so much. I mean, you'll hear all kinds of ideas. Like, oh, isn't this old-fashioned? Isn't this archaic? But here's the problem. You will just see so much evidence of this. You'll see evidence of the way that these lies Man, they get picked up when you begin to lean into these lies. You give them power, and they draw you away. And here's the problem. When you lose sight of clearly who God is, you also lose sight of who you are. 
And then you begin to do things with disordered appetites and you end up becoming your own worst enemy. This is what happened all the way in the beginning, in the very first chapters of Scripture. You get this idea that God created the world and it was good, and then they end up in this really powerful lie. It says that the serpent, evil personified, comes to Eve, and and they have this conversation about God as if God isn't there, and they draw into question all these things that God has said. Did God really say that? Did God really say this? And they end up with this crazy idea. Listen to me. When you start thinking, start talking about God as if he's not there, he becomes a religious idea and not a relationship you can know, not something you can enter into. This is a problem. Then you end up in the world of like shame and blame and denial. And you know what those do to human relationships. And this is the next step, this kind of unraveling of the fabric of God's beautiful plan. Because first, they start, you know, all of a sudden, it was the serpent. And then they go to Adam, like, what are you doing, Adam? He goes, it was Eve. She did it. And there's this sort of blame game happening. And you see this fracturing of relationship with God and then a fracturing of relationship one with another. And it's tragic. It's tragic. These lies begin to pull apart the very fabric of what God is trying to accomplish. And number two, if you're taking notes, there's the unraveling of the enemy within. And I want to talk to you about this, okay? Guys, stay tuned, okay? We're going somewhere tomorrow night where you will find an answer to the questions that I'm posing tonight. Here's something I hear sometimes. I hear something like this. It's like, well, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of sin because it just seems like a mistake. Like, couldn't God just forgive me for my mistake? Here's the problem with that, okay? It isn't just a mistake. It isn't. You matter. And people matter. And this thing that that, that Scripture calls sin, what we read about in the Bible, it's this idea that you are living in a way that is opposed to God's definition of flourishing, of thriving. And it's not that God's up there giving like arbitrary rules. If there's a rule that God, ever, if God ever asks anything from you, it's because he has something better for you. There's a reason behind every single rule. He is a good father. And his goal is not to deprive you of fun or to keep you from things that are good. His goal is actually the opposite. It is your flourishing. It is his life. He's working against an enemy that in the words of Jesus wants to kill and steal, and destroy, that he's a murderer from the beginning, and that lies are his native tongue. That's how Jesus talked about the enemy. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you to the full. I'll deal with you. I'll answer your question at the end, if that's okay. I'll give you life and give it to you to the full. There's always a reason behind the rule, but this, of course, involves trust. And guys, this, this, is, this is a critical issue. It's a critical issue. Um, somebody described morality to me this way. Uh, he is, is an incredible author. I never got to meet him because he was dead before I was alive. But his name was C.S. Lewis. He described morality okay, like a fleet of ships. Okay, so here's the, here's the problem with sometimes our understanding of like, okay, what's sin? What's right? What's wrong? It's just like an arbitrary, like, you know, I'm going against the rules. And he would say, well, okay, there's really four dimensions to it. Okay, so the, the easiest dimension is like, if, if we're a fleet of ships, like, hey, don't ram your boat into my boat, right? Like, hey, like, don't do that. Like, don't steal, don't kill, don't hurt me. Like, don't harm me. 
because everybody knows you shouldn't harm someone else. That's the first layer. And someone would say, well, what if I do something, you know, myself? I'm just doing it to me. I should be able to harm me. This is the logic you give your mom when she says, hey, you need to clean your room. And you say, well, it's my room. Why do I have to clean it? Anybody ever throw that one to your mom? What do you get back? Does your mom say, no, uh, fine, your room can be chaos? Probably not. Here's the problem. If you don't maintain your ship, I actually let my daughter have a messy room, but don't tell her. Um, If you don't maintain your ship, eventually your systems fail. Your rudder is going to fall off the back of the thing and you're going to ram into someone else anyway. And this is the idea like, oh, it's a victimless crime. It isn't because you don't live on an island. You are live in this interconnected fabric, this tapestry of love, one with another. You were built to connect with each other. And so you also don't create harm for yourself. So sin are those things that harm us and that harm other people. It's not just a mistake. It's a corruption. It's a sickness. It's the part of you that wants to run a rebellion from God. The last dimension of morality, and this is maybe the most important. Think about this for a second. If you're a fleet of ships and you are sailing in tight formation, there's no collisions and everything's going good, everybody maintained their ships appropriately, but the destination that you intended to arrive at was London, and you pull into like Antarctica. Is that a successful voyage? The answer would be, not if you didn't bring a coat, right? Like, I expected London, I got Antarctica, this is a problem, okay? So this is the last dimension. You have a design as a human being to flourish and thrive a certain way. And God might have something to say about that. And so you could live in harmony one with another and even not harm yourself, but get the whole big picture of the human experience wrong. And so this matters. All of these things matter. Your choices, your sins, they cause harm. They cause harm to creation. They hurt other people. They even cause harm to yourself. Uh, In my family's case, to give you just a painful example of this. Uh, as quickly as I possibly can, I'm going to tell you a story. If you want the full story, you can look it up. We're on YouTube. Uh, look up Surviving Mercury, Find My Face, and you can watch this video. Uh, my family moved into a house, and the house was formerly owned by a chemist. We didn't know he was a chemist. We didn't know what he did. Mysteriously, about four months later, everybody got really, really sick and were hospitalized, and the dog died. Really, he died. His name was Chauncey Billups, and he was the best bulldog the world's ever seen. Also, one of the greatest point guards of all time, but that's beside the point, okay? It was sad. It was terrible. It was tragic. Okay, now here's here's the issue. What if that guy, now what ended up coming out, what ended up coming to light is that there was a chemist who did something he shouldn't have done in the house and left harmful chemicals, a chemical spill in the home. We didn't know. It was invisible. And it was slowly poisoning all of us. What if he was to say, oops, there's a mistake. See, it matters. What he did matters. He made a choice and and he knew. He knew what he did and he did it anyway. That matters. And the harm that he caused, well, that has to matter too. Because this is the issue. 
The issue with the unraveling is there is an enemy that wants to pull you away into another story. And there's something inside of you that wants to listen to it, that wants to believe the lies. And you know what? That is going to end in a place of harm for you, harm to others. And it's going to break the heart of God because God wants you to have life. He loves you. He created you beautifully. And here is the best part of the whole thing. Here's the most hopeful part. Because even when the servants are focused on the weeds, the attention, where's the attention of the owner of the field? No, it's on the harvest. Yes, there are problems, but there is potential. And he says, listen, we can live in this tension with hopeful expectation because Jesus can solve this problem. And you can fall into the trap of trying to like get yourself out of the mess. But the truth is the island is burning around you and flaming mo was a bad decision. You follow me? You need bigger help than you have the ability to offer. Now, with all that in mind, I'm going to wrap up and we're going to end here. Listen to this, okay? This is this chapter, okay? Why, why can the owner say, let them grow together? Why can he do that? Because he knows what he's capable of. He knows that with his help, he can deal with all these problems. He knows what he's prepared to do to solve this mess. He knows what it's like to actually turn enemies into friends. He knows what it's like to turn sinners into saints. He knows he's prepared to pay a price to buy back humanity from the bondage of sin and the chaos that we create. He knows he has a plan to heal, to restore, to redeem. It's the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the gateway where life will flood back into the story. Listen to how Paul said this. This is a chapter we've been reading all along, right? Here we go. As for you, I'm back in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Flaming mo, bad decisions, chemical spills, they're causing harm. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the enemy we talked about. The spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our, our, our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. This is, this is the enemy within. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We made a mess of the world. We did this. We made a mess of the world. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You have within you, you have within you this beautiful gift called choice. You have within you the ability, by virtue of your creation, to be an agent of chaos or a servant of grace. You can, you can cause incredible harm, just damage all around, like a, like a chaos leaving devastation behind you in your wake, or you can learn to lean in to trust. To trust that God actually knows what he's talking about. That if he asks us for something or to stay away from something, maybe he knows as the creator of the universe, 
Maybe he has an idea about how it's intended to function all along. And so in that, the Bible calls faith. We choose to trust that he knows what he's talking about. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, there are those here, God, who are searching for you, who are seeking. There are those here who are confident in who you are. And there are those here that just feel lost. There are people here, Lord, that have been harmed by sinful and selfish choices that have been victimized in one way or another. And I ask God that you would bring them comfort and that you would reveal yourself to each of us no matter where we are because God, I believe you're good. Jesus, I believe that you are love personified and that in you we find life to the full. Help us trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.